turns out I was diagnosed with cluster headaches, which are considered the most painful condition known to mankind. So long story short, my wife's friend read an article that possible cure for cluster headaches is magic mushrooms, psilocybin from magic mushrooms or LSD. It is an actual cluster of trying, because it's also once you get older, you don't have as many friends that are going to fish shows that can get you a bag of mushrooms. Today, I'm delighted to sit down with the multi-talented writer, actor, woodworker, and improv comedy showman, Mark Odlum. Join us as we engage in a spirited discussion touching on everything from gripping ghost stories to microdosing magic mushrooms, mastering the art of carpentry, to leading the charge on the very unknown and wildly mysterious cluster headaches. We follow Mark all the way through his mischievous class clown years growing up on the East Coast, finally making it out west to L.A., where he married the love of his life and appeared in TV shows such as Adam Ruins Everything, Insecure, and Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman's Making It. He stands over six foot two, has broken almost every bone in his body, and has more than one potentially critically acclaimed novel ready for bookshelves near you. This is the man I'm proud and enthusiastic to introduce, Mark Odlum. At first, when when he walked in, I'm like, who invited Paul Rudd to be here? Like, do you get that often? I've gotten that a lot, I actually, a lot. Yeah. yeah. When my wife and I first started dating, a lot of her girlfriends called me Paul Rudd, and they didn't know what my name was. So, Well, he's not Paul Rudd. He's Mark Odlum. Um, but that's a good compliment because, like, people are, like, trying to find— Paul Rudd's like secret on how he stays so young. So that's a I don't know if I've got you. that part going for me yet. <laughs> like this pandemic is aging me in the wrong direction. It's aging everybody in the wrong direction. Well, I appreciate you coming down here. Well, tell me a little bit more about uh, what is it like to be Mark? First of all, where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in New England. Okay. I grew up in uh, Connecticut. Okay. And then... Um, in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut. And then I went to school in Rhode Island okay. in Providence College. And then I go went to Boston. That's kind of what you're supposed to do if you go to school. That's right. you, you move to New York or you move to Boston. So uh-huh. I moved to Boston and I lived there for about six years. And what what was that like? Like what, what kind of a, a child were you? I know you've got comedy in your life now, but were you always like a little jokester in school I, or what? Always. always. I was always the one of those like the class clown kind of jokester, love making people laugh. So yeah. I was like always a little mischievous, getting in a lot of trouble, but kind of the the practical joke kind of humor. Like when I got my diploma in high school, I went up on stage with like a fake hand and shook the principal's Are hand with a fake hand. And oh my he God. did not find that funny at all. <laughs> It was kind of a prop carrot top time kind of humor, but uh-huh. um, the friends liked it, but he threatened to not give me the diploma, but worked out in the end. But I was always that, you know, like yeah. I would bring a lot of fake blood to school and just those, those kind of things. I ran for student office to be vice president. And the only reason I ran to be vice president of student council was so that I could give a speech. Uh-huh. I didn't really have any agenda or yeah. any kind of... <laughs> political aspirations. It was just like, I want to get up and in front of the whole school and make, make a laugh. fake fun. Yeah, make them right? laugh. Make them so laugh. So I did. Uh-huh. I did, you know? Nice. Yeah, I, I was similar to you. I was kind of like a class clown. Uh, there's some stories. Like, I would I would go to, like, my friend's house, right? Uh, my friend Billy. 
Um, and I would steal the entire family's like toothbrushes, <laughs> like, just like doing random things. Yes. Um, I made a photocopy of one of my friend's uh, faces, right? And I kept it in my wallet at all times. And so whenever we would end up at like a party, like there'd be like a picture of the family hanging up in their house. And we don't even know these people. And I would like take the picture down, know he's looking. And I'd put up like my friend Rob's face as the dad and I'd hang it back up, right? Uh, just like doing like funny stuff. That's man. what making people laugh. Is all about yeah. trying to make people laugh. Like we uh -huh. would, my friend Dan and I would in high school and middle school would just try to, if there was a very busy hallway with all the students, like I would try to pretend I was running late to class and trip and drop all of my books and papers. And we'd have them extra papers so they would fly everywhere just so I would fall in front of everyone. So a lot of that kind of stuff. Wow. Well, well, it sounds like you had, uh, at least you didn't get expelled from the comedy and you no. had some good enough grades to go to college. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. My parents still made me, you know, I still had to hit the books. You know, I was not okay. a great student, but I was, a, you know, I got by. You got I, by. I did my work, yep. you know. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's key, you know. Uh, I think I was, I think there was like, I don't even know, like 1,100 kids in my my school. And I was like 890 or something. Yes, yeah. I was you around know, there. I was having too. fun. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right? I was having Life fun. Life was meant to be fun. So, so you went to college. Uh, what did you study in college? Um, marketing and art. My mom was a uh, an elementary school and high school art teacher. So okay. I, I loved art all growing up. So I wanted to paint. And so cool. I wanted to go to RISD to go to art school. But then- mm -hmm. My parents were kind of like swaying me to go to more liberal arts. They're like, because maybe you can get a degree to do something else along with art. My mom's like, you can always do art, you know? So yeah. I uh -huh. decided to go more liberal arts and then, um, but with a minor in painting and okay. I majored in marketing. Got like it. advertising. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, that's, you could always fall back on marketing. Right. right? Exactly. Because mm -hmm. you're mention, always marketing I feel like any yourself. business you do anything, even if like acting or whatever, you're marketing yourself. Totally. So it's kind of a, I still remember things from college. I didn't learn so much stuff in college, but I do remember learning quite a few marketing yeah. tricks. I, I was the same. I uh, I studied marketing uh, at UNLV. I went to school. I was in the Air Force and, I, and then I went to college at UNLV. And I was going to be a lawyer. And I'm like, this lawyer stuff isn't really for me. And so I fell back on marketing. Yeah. So it's uh, it's pretty fascinating. It is. So uh, so while you were in college, you're pretty tall. Yeah. Right? Did yep. you play sports? I what? did. I played basketball and baseball. Okay. Uh, those were my two sports. I was very accident prone. I really wanted to play football. My parents were like, not a good idea. Because yeah. I was, I broke, I've broken almost every bone in my body oh, okay. from various sports. And I was along with being the kind of the class clown kind of guy who was just a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. I liked always like rock climbing, surfing, skiing, skateboarding, uh -huh. and jumping off of cliffs and yeah. getting hurt. So they're like, football? No. But mm -hmm. I did play basketball. I loved basketball and baseball. Okay. Yep. I almost played baseball in college. But then I knew I was not going to the pros. And I was like, I kind of want to have fun in college instead of just playing baseball all the time. Oh, sure. Feeling like I got recruited by a couple of schools, but I thought – I would just be on the bench. Yeah. So I was like, if I'm uh -huh. not going to play, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be starting. Yeah. So. I, uh, I too was like, you know, I was like an athlete in school, uh, you know, when I was a 
I don't know, seven years old. I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. I was into wrestling. I played football. I was, you know, I was an active kid. But my, believe it or not, like my my biggest injury was from a bowling accident. Oh, of course, because <laughs> like, there are always those types of things. So random, right? So like I'm, I'm like 12 years old, right? And my family was really active in bowling. Like I would be on bowling alleys on Wednesday nights with like women smoking cigarettes. It was like crazy, right? And I'm playing video games. And so I, I would bowl and I got pretty good at the bowling. And then one time, I'll never forget it, right? Like it was like an empty lane. They were bowling in the league. I'm down at lane 12 or whatever. And I step up there to the lane, right? And I've got my ball. And I guess somebody had like spilled something earlier. And so I didn't know that. And so I get up there and I go and I throw the ball. And as I throw the ball, I slip, right? And the ball comes down and smashes my my finger, right? Oh, like boy. this 10 pound, those are pound yeah, ball. Those are, those are fairly heavy. Boom. I remember it like, it just like smashing my finger ah. and then bouncing back up. And so... I, I go and my finger just starts to get big, big, big. And so I go get my mom and we go into the bathroom. And like, all I remember is I'm like, it's so much pressure. I go like this and then just blood went all over the bathroom, right? And we go to the guy and he's like, do you need a Band-Aid? Like, what do you need? And But anyway, I still got a scar from that, from a bowling yeah, story. Like, always, go figure. It's, it's right? always that. It's always those. You remember like a, uh, an injury that comes to mind from uh, playing sports or what? Oof, I don't even know where to begin you on injuries. Too many of them? I have so many. Mm -hmm. But from bowl, yeah, from sports and from non-sport. I also have a lot of non-sport Related injuries injury. too, like okay. those kind of just wrong place, wrong, wrong time. time. But uh -huh. my worst one was skiing. Okay, I was backcountry skiing in the Swiss Alps. After college, my sister had moved, had gotten a job teaching Spanish at an outdoor adventure school in Switzerland because cool. she could go and ski and hike. And so I love skiing at the time. And so I was like, I'm going to come out and visit you. So I went out to go visit her and I had a free place to stay in her dorm and I could ski. And how cool is that? It was unbelievable. Yeah. And so I'm in Zermatt, Switzerland. And it was like, you know, we're like halfway through the trip. And she's like, I have to work and all my friends have to work so you can ski by yourself today. But mm -hmm. she's like, just stay on the mark trails. But inst instead, I was being a little daredevil. I was like skiing on the mark trails all day. And it was like nice, decent snow. But I realized if you go off piece just a little bit, it was like a foot of fresh powder. Mm -hmm. So I kept venturing off piece out of bounds a little bit further and further throughout the day. And are you a competitive skier? Are you yeah, good? I've been you skiing are. my whole okay, life. Okay, so yeah. I just want to kind of put the so, reference there. Yeah, yeah, so I am skiing now. I kept getting further and further backcountry off piste. And this is about 20 years ago. I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a GPS track or anything. Sure. I'm at about 8,000 feet and I'm going down a really steep trail full by speed yourself. by myself. And it's about a foot deep of fresh powder. And all of a sudden, full speed, my right ski boot stops and my body keeps going. And the bone above my ski boot, right below my knee, my tibia, tibial plateau, cracks in half and oh splinters down God. the long way. And I tumble down like 50 feet. And I'm just sitting there with my leg bent sideways at 8,000 feet with no phone. Uh, no one, there's nobody coming there. There's nobody checking those trails because I'm not on a trail. No. So I'm like, I'm going to scoot down on my butt. I try to scoot, but my leg is just bone on bone. I can't get down that way. So I'm trying to crawl down on my stomach. That pain just sends, it's, I never went into shock. It mm -hmm. was just like, just brutal pain. It of never course. went numb. And so I, it's starting to get late in the day and I'm starting to, I have 
figure out I'm going to have to spend the night. So I have to start digging a snow Sounds cave. Sounds like a, like a movie. Yeah, it is. It's, it's like seriously. a survival story. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. So mm -hmm. I start building a snow cave to try and survive the night because it gets cloudy and it starts snowing. But then I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I see about 150 yards away on a different trail up around a corner. I see two people skiing by and I like so wave this is my hours later. Down. Yeah. Holy. I'm waving them down like a lunatic with my poles. And they ski over and it's a couple, the Italian couple, they don't speak any English. And mm -hmm. we're trying to talk via charades. I'm like, my leg is broke. Oh, oh you, my know? God. you know, and the, the husband or boyfriend skis down to get help. And the woman stays with me and we try to talk. And I'm just like nauseous from the pain of my leg. And they get, um, he comes back an hour later with the sled with the ski patrol. And they yeah. have to bring me down 8,000 feet back country down to... Oh my one. God. And then I had to have to fly back to the United States with a shattered limb for uh, surgery. So I'm sure you get post-traumatic stress just talking yeah, about it, it's that. It's crazy. Man. And like I did actually cold. write a book about that because oh I, I wrote a memoir about that and it's actually out at publishers right now. It's at like six major publishers right now. So it actually might become a movie. It may one day. <laughs> oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> right? Fingers crossed. But, but, it's not, but in, in my tone, it's written in like a self-deprecating tone. And okay. then we switched it from a memoir to a novel okay. so that I could embellish if I wanted to. So now it's a novel loosely based on me, uh -huh. a young adult novel. So. so is this something you wrote just during the pandemic? Yeah, you know, just I started writing it? it about nine years ago after moving to LA from New York and I was trying to get acting jobs and I was bartending and, okay. and I had had two different uh, pilots that I wrote and both of which got the ideas got stolen after they won awards at film festivals and made it to different things. And I just got really burnt out. And I was like, I need to write something for me that no one can steal because I, it is my story and of my course. idea. Uh -huh. So I just started writing it and I was going to write this story for Ski Magazine, like mm -hmm. a little short. And then like, I was like, I think a hundred pages in, I'm like, I haven't even broken my leg yet. I think I'm writing a novel. Oh, <laughs> so my God. it turned out to a book. And then I sent it to a literary agent and they loved it. And then we've been kind of tinkering it and working on it. And I'd put it down for a couple of years and pick it back up. And then now yeah. nine years later, it's just going out. and Good for you. Yeah, so I stuck with it. Congrats. I wanted to do something for me that didn't have a lot of people giving me notes on it. Yeah, you know? it's your story. I love it. Yeah. yeah. It's a... Uh... And it's not, that's, that's hard to do to write a book, man, or a memoir. It's, it's, it takes a lot of dedication and commitment because you, you just kind of get stuck and it's like, where do I go from here? And you're like, I'll get to it later and later yeah, never right, comes, right? right? right. So. And it was a dream. I'd always wanted to write a book and then, mm -hmm. then I wrote another one after. So I, I, I love writing. It makes me happy. You well, know? it's it's interesting with the skiing story because uh, so I I belong to a group called YPO. It's called Young Professionals Organization. Yeah, and um, and they do like really cool like events and stuff. And so about three months ago, I got to go play poker, um, and the guest speaker was uh, Molly Bloom. I'm not sure if you know Molly is. She has a, a movie about her her life called Molly's Game. She's like yes, a, right? Yeah, of course. Uh -huh. I saw that. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so she has a very similar skiing story as you. Yes, yes. Yeah. It, like she was going to be like a Olympic right, skier. Right. And uh, and I think her brother even went on to do that. But uh, but that kind of changed her whole life. Right. Yeah. So As did this because after that, I had to get a metal plate, put my leg, they had to take my hip bone out of my hip, mm -hmm. put it into my knee. And I was a very active guy, like I said, basketball and baseball. And then yeah. the doctor's like, you're probably never going to run again. You're going to walk with a limp for the rest of your life. You're never going to ski again. Yeah. And I was like... 
all the things you don't want to that hear to young, as a, yeah, at a no, young age. When you're 22 years old. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I love playing pickup basketball. I thought I would play that like my dad did till he was in his like 40s or 50s. Sure. And, you know, and, uh -huh. you know. So, so, uh, well, that, that's, it's, it's cool that you're able to tell your story. I look forward to reading it. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so let's go back a little bit. So now you're in, you're in Boston. Yeah. Okay. And you're living there. You probably have no family or anybody or anything. You're just kind of there on your own. Or yeah. What? My parents are in Connecticut, like an okay. hour and a half away, but my sister was living in Watertown, Mass at the time. Oh, okay, so she, I, I could see her on, we'd have Sunday night dinners with she and nice. her husband and stuff. And, and then I live with five guys I went to college with. So oh, we lived boy. in Brighton, Mass. Yeah. I'd love to go to like, your party house it, it was on a good Friday time. night. It was yeah. a good time back uh -huh. then. Yes. Yeah. And so you, you had this, uh, you had this um, comedy that you've kind of grew up dating back to elementary school yes. and middle school and getting your diploma with a fake hand. So what, uh, what happened? So you found improv or what? Yeah. Well, it was interesting having, you know, I just feel like where I grew up, I, I didn't know anyone who was an actor or a comedian. I didn't, wasn't around that. So like, I loved watching Saturday Night Live and that was just like my dream, but I had no idea of like, how did people even get there? Yeah. And then I'm living in Boston and I was working construction, getting up at four in the morning, working construction. Mm -hmm. And, for Christmas one year is after I had broken my leg. And, you know, so I was at work construction. I had this beat up leg and everything. And my sister for a Christmas present bought me uh, Improv Asylum, which is like one of the biggest clubs in Boston. Yeah. Uh, improv class, eight, eight classes, level one improv as a Christmas present. So I went and started going once a week to take these improv level one lessons. And I just fell in love uh -huh. with doing improv. Uh -huh. So I did level one, then I took level two. And my teacher in level two was this guy, Ryan Gall, who was now in the ground the groundlings and is now on Tracy Morgan's show, The Last OG. Oh, is that right? Okay. He plays the husband. Uh -huh. And he was moving to LA and was like, hey, you guys should give this guy a shot. He's he's got he's naturally just stupid or whatever you want to say. And uh, so I uh, so I auditioned and then I found out I made their main stage. And so I started, I went from working construction to all of a sudden I was, they did like eight, six to eight shows a week, kind of like a, uh, like a Broadway show schedule. You had shows yeah. every like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, two shows on Friday night, two shows on Saturday and rehearsals. And all of a sudden I was like, I guess I'm doing this. So, yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. wasn't paying enough money. So to have a day job, and, you know, and I got a job doing, um, I switched from construction to doing real estate because I started off doing construction. I was like, I'd work in a full day laboring. And then I was work. like, go doing class mm -hmm. at 6, 6 p.m., getting home at 9 or 10. And I was getting up at 3.30 in the morning. For, and I was like, this is this Rough is life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, for, it's very, first of all, to make, because I've done some improv myself yeah. and to make the main stage, you've got to be pretty good at that. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I found uh, I found uh, improv by accident. So I was a I was a a radio personality for a little bit. I had all kinds, you know, in our past life, everybody had all these random jobs: you construction right. oh, yeah. and bartending. Yeah. But I was a radio personality, and I was doing uh, DJing. I was wedding like weddings and whatnot. And uh, a friend of mine's like, "Hey, I'm going to this thing. This was in Vegas." going to this thing, it's called Second City. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, the, he explained, he's like, you ever watch like Saturday Night Live? I'm like, of course I love Saturday Night Live. He's like, it's kind of like that. You just kind of go and we learn techniques and tools and it's a good group. You should come join. And so I went, I, I fell in love with it too. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, I actually wrote an article. I'm not sure if it's on Inc or entrepreneur.com because I write for some of the magazines. And the article, the whole concept of the article was how 
um, improv, like just taking, I didn't, I wasn't on the main stage or anything like that, but I just took a lot of cool classes and the yeah. games, but how that has helped me throughout life oh, in general, crazy. right. From being a good CEO to right. this, a father, a parent, you know, everything. Yeah. Well, at Improv Asylum and at Improv Boston, where I went and I was on their main stage as well. And they were kind of like two competing theaters in Boston. And I got mm -hmm. to be on both main stages, which was really exciting. But both of them have their touring companies and they do so much corporate stuff because they'll go to corporations and they'll, you'll come in and you'll work with your team of salespeople and all that and just get people to learn how to like think quicker on their feet and totally because it helps in sales and business and so many, so many avenues. So the, a huge part of their business is training improv like corporate. Is stuff. that right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I could, I could see that. In fact, I want to go train my team now as I think about right. this on how to do improv. <laughs> like, it's, it's a hey great guys, we got a little tool. weird thing that's going to happen right. here now, right. but, um, but Hey, it's fun. It, yeah. it really, and it allows you to kind of, cause the biggest thing with improv with me is kind of, is having trust in your partner that oh, you're on yeah. stage with, right? Because yes. they're going to either carry you or let you or die. Bury you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? like, yeah, that's... exactly. You need to be able to work together and be on the same page. Uh -huh. and, yeah. It's like, I'm going to take you in a weird direction right now yeah. and let's just see where this exactly. goes. Exactly. And you're and like, if I like, trust you, I'm going with you uh -huh. we're going down together here. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a, a lot of trust. It's all about trust. Well, that's cool. Well, anyway, we're, we're since I don't know you that well, um, I figure the best way to get to know each other a little bit better is we're going to do a little icebreaker. And Whitney, whom you know, you've worked together with our producer, Whitney. Yes, and I have. So this game is called Never Have I Ever. And I'm sure you've heard that. Before. I have. I have. Mm-hmm. I bet you weren't expecting to uh, play it as you walked in today. Oh, no, but I'm excited about yeah. it. Yeah. So here's how this works, right? So we both have 10 cards in front of us, and we're going to take turns reading the statements. And you get one point if you can answer the question honestly, right? Now, honestly is really, uh, it's an integrity thing. Yes, here, yes. Right? Um, if you get, uh, let's see here, if you get seven honest answers first, you're going to be the winner. Okay. If I get seven first, I'm the winner. So since you're my guest, I'll let you flip over the first card All and right. we'll get started. All right. Oh, so do I read it first Go and say, it. okay, yeah. done donuts with my car. It's so funny. You know? Yeah, yeah, in my mom's station wagon. I definitely <laughs> did donuts. Now, I was just trying to remember. I'm like, I know we took that thing off road once too, but I definitely did donuts in that car. Yes. All right. Told my parents the pot belonged to a friend. So for me, to be honest with you, I experimented with like pot one time and it just made me feel like really crazy. And I'm like, I'm never doing this again. And so I was definitely not the pothead kid of my friends. So you weren't going to find a lot of bags of pot in my uh, room. So that wasn't me. So no, I've never had to tell my parents that the pot belonged to a friend. <laughs> Been stuck in a friend zone or a friend zone someone? Oh, almost every relationship <laughs> until I met my wife was I was friend zoned. I've always been the nice guy. You're the and funny I, guy, yeah, no, right? I was a funny guy. Oh, he's funny. Girls would like me. I was fun, but like I, I never had that like and it hurt me with sales. I was never a closer. And that worked with, with women as well. So, yeah, I was um, most of my relationships from high school and most of college were friends. Until, until, until they started getting more serious and like, later in college. 
Everybody loves that friend, right? Yeah. Everybody loves that friend. Been broken up with for being immature. Been broken up with for being too immature. Um, I could see maybe in like high school, like I'm not sure that was the excuse that they gave me, but to the kid that's stealing toothbrushes from their friends' families <laughs> and stuff, I can imagine that I was broken up for because I was being a little too mature. So I'll probably <laughs> go with the yes on that one. All right. Uh, had toilet water splash on my face while plunging. <laughs> you know, that's so funny. That uh, yeah, yeah. I got. I, I I hate that I'm just saying yes on all these, but we're supposed <laughs> to be honest. And uh, yeah, because my parents have this place in Maine, and it is not a very good plumbing. And every time you use it, you got to plunge. Uh-huh. And. Uh, it's it's not a good quality plunger either. So yeah, it's it's a splasher. You, you know, the worst is uh, is when you're standing kind of like uh, in line to use a bathroom and there's nobody, you know, and, or you're in like a party at a house and it's like college days and you go in and all of a sudden the toilet backs up oh. and you're like, oh my God, what do I do and now? And it doesn't make a difference if you plugged it or um, someone else did. If no. you're in the bathroom at the time, everyone thinks it was your the, work. Exactly. Exactly. So there's no good situation there. And that, you know what else too? Like when you go into a bathroom and like, and like there's pee on the seat. Oh, yeah. Right? It's like, even though that you didn't do it, if there's a line there, yes. the person behind you is going to think that they that's think it's your you. work. There, it's always right? the last person to exit. Exactly. So I always try to like clean up a little bit here. Yeah. Thought about what to name my future children. Um, oh, well, I have three children. Um, and so the first one was easy. Like he was just going to have the name Jason. That was just kind of my thing. Um, but the second one, his name's Zach now, but he was baby boy for like four days or three <laughs> days, however long. Because my wife and I could not agree. We're just like, that happens I'm a like, lot. what about Giuseppe? And she's like, Giuseppe? <laughs> I'm like, what is that? What about this? What about that? And then eventually my wife's like, you know what? Like, what about Zach? Like, she's like, what? Like Zach from Saved by the Bell. And I'm like, I kind of like Zach. And so that was the one that we agreed upon. So, nice. Yeah. That's always a... That's a scary decision when it's two huge, parents have to like name their kid. Right, because right? you want to be, as a parent, you're always like, well, we want it to be different or creative. But then you're like, but you don't want to embarrass them or make it kind of weird or complicated. Yeah. And like, you're like, they're the ones who are living with this name. So <laughs> there's a Johnny Cash There's a fine song, line there. Johnny Cash song, uh, Boy Named Sue. You yes, ever heard yes, that? The, yeah. best, the best. The best. Yeah. Uh-huh. Used deodorant instead of bathing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Always. Yes. Regularly. Today. Today. Not to mention, you mentioned you have kids. I have kids too. There's uh, so many times when you're like, life is crazy. And you know, my wife and I'd be like, I haven't showered in like three days. And you're like, no. <laughs> but we go through quite a bit of deodorant in our house. Is the spray or the roll on? Well, you know, you it's funny. It worked better when I used the regular. And then someone uh, went, someone sent my wife or myself an article about the the silver stuff and the antiperspirants uh-huh. and how it's like could be cancer causing. And it's like, it's funny. It's like out of all those things, it's the one thing I did switch uh-huh. to like natural deodorant Is compared right? to all of the other things that you see a documentary about hot dogs and you know, I still eat uh, hot exactly. dogs, you know, but uh-huh. that's one of those things that um, I've gone natural on the, uh, on the on deodorant. The deodorant. Yeah. 
Brought something on a flight that I knew might get me arrested. So the only time that I ever was a little scared about flying. So back in like my, we're going to have a guest on the show here in the future. His name is Vegas Dave. And Vegas Dave is a big sports gambler. And he's like a sports savant. And um, at the beginning of a football season, he's like, hey, why don't you try this gambling with me? So I took like $10,000 that I didn't have. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. And so I turned $10,000 into like $300,000 from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, right? Oh my God. In cash, right? And so I'd have my own like, like safe deposit box at a place called the Suncoast Casino in, in Vegas. And I felt like a mobster. I'm like yeah. 23 years old with like $300,000 sitting in a safe deposit box at a casino, right? And so the story about the getting arrested or kind of being scared to fly is... I was flying home because I prompt my mom was like a hard worker. She had me at 17. We were poor. So I made a promise that I was going to buy her a Corvette. And so I took $50,000 out of the safe deposit box. Um, and I flew home with $50,000 in cash. Right. And that just doesn't seem was normal. Was that in your carry-on? That was like, it wasn't my carry-on. It was like stuffed in $10,000 oh, box. Like literally, like, God. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Right. So I'm walking through and luckily like it didn't trigger any alarms or anything, but I, sh I knew that if they're like, Hey, can we just check you, pat you down? That I was oh, going to be questioned yeah. for like being some kind of a drug Lord exactly. or something. Right. So anyway, I flew back home. I ended up buying my mom the car and it was great, but I was scared because I, you know, even though I wasn't doing anything illegal, they were going to think feels I was going to do. Yeah. I know, it, even it though did. it's not right. Mm -hmm. that, well, I could, oof. Um, had a penis drawn on my forehead while I was sleeping. <laughs> well, I could say I've done that. To I know. Friends. I was going to say I've done that in college, but I don't know. If, but I was never like the first to pass out or like, I've always been a light sleeper, even really drunk. And I'm like, even now, like a squirrel farts in the backyard and I'm up, you know? So I, uh, so yeah, no, that has never happened to me. <laughs> that you know of. That, that I know that of. That you right, know of. Right. right. There might I have be a some lot of friends photos. from college. Good thing they there wasn't Instagram when we were kids. Yeah, right. right exactly. Mm -hmm. Or that TikTok. Is true. That we is... might have been pretty famous in yes, our day. Right. Chose not to invest in something would that would have made me a fortune. Um, hmm. I think the only thing that uh, that I did not get into was buying Facebook shares when it first came mm -hmm. out um, because they did kind of go up a lot. And my uh, my my uncle was like, hey, you should buy it. I'm like, I don't know. Like, how do they make money and this? It's just like a free platform. So that might have been or Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah. We could probably do a whole topic on that. <laughs> like I like somebody had mentioned Bitcoin to me for like a long time ago. And I'm like, what? What is this? It's like this fake currency. What? Yeah, NFTs no. now, you know, it like sound, it's like it, all of this stuff. Like it I'm didn't just sound good on paper. I don't. I'm I don't not. I don't know does. what it is. So right. why am I going to invest in it? So I'd say Bitcoin uh, is. It would definitely be the one for that. Yeah. There you mm -hmm. go. Left a restaurant without paying the tab. No, I've never done that. Mm -hmm. I waited tables and I bartended for years. So if anything, mm -hmm. even if it was the worst service, I would just over tip. Uh -huh. I would never, even if I had no money, but I never did that. I never left, left a restaurant yeah. without paying the tab. Been thrown out of a bar. Um, yes, but because of my stupid friends. <laughs> 
<laughs> not because of anything I've done. Yes. Yeah. I've had some crazy friends and you always have that one friend that wants to like pick fights with people. Always. And next, you uh, know, it's like, oh yeah, you're getting into this whole. Oh yeah. I had, yeah. A, we had, a, I had a few of those guys. Oh yeah. Been stunned by something that was left for me in a will. No, I'm just thinking of a complete lie. I was like, I really don't. I was just trying to, I was going to be like, yeah, this haunted mansion up in the middle. No, but like, no, I, I wish. I, I, haven't, I, I think I got my grandfather's pocket knife. I haven't really, ever, I haven't gotten much in a will just yet. All right. Well, I think that's seven, but let's just continue. So you're officially the winner of our game here. And it always usually works that way. I, I seem to lose all of these uh, games. Um, hired a personal trainer because they were hot. Um, no, I don't think <laughs> I've ever done that. Uh, most of my personal trainers were like big buff dudes yeah, that right. I aspired to kind of look like at some point in my life. Uh, oh, seen a ghost. I love ghost stories. I believe in ghosts, uh -huh. but no. Well, no. I mean, you know, everyone has those things where they've had some weird stuff happen, yeah. staying in an old place, but I haven't heard, I've heard of things even in my yeah, I, I've, I've, I hate, I love ghost stories, but I hate it when they're about me because I know I say them, I'm like, ugh, it freaks me out. It gives me the chills. But um, I have not no, seen, seen an actual ghost, ghost but Never. I've heard footsteps in a room I've been in and heard voices, and that's been Weird super things. creepy. Where I've been up all night and couldn't go back to bed. But so for me, my uh, my ghost story, I I truly believe in ghosts, and I'm very skeptical about everything. Like I have to see, or like, I just don't yeah. believe a lot of things, but I'll never forget this story. So I'm like 12 years old. Um, I'm upstairs in my friend Hans's house. All right. He's got this house and the parents and everybody always said that, yeah, oh yeah, we've got ghosts in this. It's like normal, right? right? We're always like, yeah, we're full of shit, right? But the house, like usually when houses are old, like 1800s, yeah. like yeah, yeah. there's a chance, right? They have stories that they found like a diamond ring uh, in the backyard and, and while they were gardening and they put it on the, in the, in the actual like kitchen table and it was gone, like things like that. They had all these like stories. And so nobody ever believed them. And so one night, I'll never forget this. Um, it was like an afternoon. I'm laying down in his bedroom on the floor. He's laying down on the bed and we're doing homework together. And all of a sudden I hear, kuch, kuch, kuch. and I'm like, what the heck is that? Right. Kuch, kuch, kuch. And then I look over and I'm I swear on my grandmother's like life, right? And my grandma was like a mother figure to me. He had this like George Washington piggy bank, right? And it was just literally like shaking in the air. Like I seen it with my own eyes. Like it's just shaking in the air, right? And uh. I go to my buddy Hans. I'm like, what the heck is going on right now? I'm like, this is like, and he's like, I told you, dude, this house, we've got ghosts, right? And I'm just like, oh my God. Like, and so like, ever since that day nothing has ever happened like that to me ever before yeah, but yeah. that was the only time that I ever experienced anything kind of like that it was crazy that's nuts yeah use my phone to call someone while taking a shit um <laughs> Don't we all do that? I think so. I think that's one of the perks about having phones, you know? You may call anywhere you need to. Just don't FaceTime. Exactly. Right? Just don't flush. Just don't or flash. Yeah, yeah. you gotta kind of make sure. So I want to talk more about something that um uh, a, a book that you wrote. Yeah. Um called Clusterfuck. Yes. Cluster. Fuck. Fuck. Yes. Got it. Okay. So first of all, what does that even mean? Yeah. So the little backstory is 
after I broke my leg skiing in Switzerland when I was 22, okay. I had to be in bed for a month because okay. I couldn't move my leg. And at the time, nowadays you have surgery, they have you bend your leg, you know, the next day you're in PT. Yeah. 20 years ago, they're like, just leave it up and mm -hmm. let it atrophy for a month. You know, don't move it. Yeah. So I was in bed for about two weeks after surgery, woke up in the middle of the night with the worst headache I've ever had in my life. And I'd never even had a headache. Your whole it felt life. Okay, like so it's my a whole new life, thing. I'd never had a headache. And all of a sudden, two weeks after this major surgery, it felt like there was an ice pick going into my eye. Oh my God. And I was free. I thought I had a brain tumor and was dying. And then it took years. These headaches then would I would get five or six a day for two months and then they'd go away and I'd go a year, no headache. Then Were one you year later- might have been traumatic brain injury yeah, from I your didn't accident? Know. I didn't what? know. Yeah, so okay. I saw a neurologist. I had to go to the ER. I missed, I missed Christmas one year because it was so bad. I had to get rushed to the ER for these headaches. And turns out I was diagnosed with cluster headaches, which are considered the most painful condition known to mankind, hmm. cluster headaches. And they- are these ice pick headaches that feel like they're going into your eye socket and they're violent. It's not like sometimes with migraines and other headaches, you know, things that can help you might be being in a dark room, quiet, relaxing with, you're not sensitive to light with a cluster headache. You're just thrashing on the ground, holding mm. your head and feeling like you're going to die. And you can't even sit still. You're rolling in a ball on the floor. And they're also called suicide headaches. Oh, wow. I'd had them now for almost 20 years. And I've tried every type of medication and they would put me on verapamil, which is a blood pressure medication, even though I have good blood pressure mm -hmm. to hope lessen the severity of these headaches. And that only made it hard to breathe. It would feel like I'm breathing through a straw. Hmm. And so I had done a bunch of research and I had been suffering for now at one point for like 16 years with these headaches and they would destroy my life like doing improv all of a sudden i have a three-month window where i'm getting six of these headaches a day for three months straight i can't do improv at night i can't perform it's affecting my acting career writing career i can't go to work because you're you're up all night sure and then you're up all night and you're not sleeping for two months at a time and oh my. regular <clears throat> migraine medicine does not work for cluster headaches so I, a friend of my wife's, Beth, sent her an article about psilocybin, like magic mushrooms and LSD to cure, to treat cluster headaches. Interesting. Cluster headaches, there's no known medical cure. Sure. They've I, tried, I've never even heard of cluster headaches. Yeah, they're headaches. very sure, rare. Yeah. They, uh -huh. they affect under 1% of the entire population. It's predominantly men, and it usually comes with around age 22. Okay. That's changed since then. I know a lot of women who suffer from them too, but the- crazy thing is I would be on these meds and they would make me feel awful and the verapamil, the blood pressure. And then you're on these, I'm doing these injections, which are like, they're sumatriptan injections, which feel like morphine pens, which you're like jabbing your leg and you're passing out. And For then you have headache. this hangover from the, from the meds. Cause these, these headaches will last like an hour and a half. Oh my. And the only other thing that helps is inhaling pure oxygen. So I have an oxygen tank at the house. So long story short, my wife's friend read an article that possible cure for cluster headaches is magic mushrooms, psilocybin from magic mushrooms or LSD. And are they legal or? No, they're not. No, neither are legal. Wow. And they're a schedule one narcotic. Sure. You know, and I so, thought maybe a doctor could prescribe no, them for they this can't. or something. They can't. So, huh. so that's why I decided to write this book about this guy. Again, I turned it more into, it was originally a memoir, then I turned it into a novel about a character like myself who's got 
the most painful condition known to mankind, yet there's no real cure for it and no real medicine that works aside from a schedule one narcotic. So you're mm. like, suicide headaches or do Possibly I going to go try to get, yeah, go Who to jail cares? for taking, like going to get LSD and mushrooms and buying, trying to get a lot of it. Sure. So it's, it is an actual clusterfuck of trying because it's also once you get older, you don't have as many friends that are going to fish shows that can get you a bag of mushrooms. It's like yeah. harder to be like, where do I get mushrooms? Where well, do I what get you've LSD? just done to those that are listening that love those kind of drugs, like you just gave everybody a, a cluster headache here is yes. what you've done. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. See? So it's funny, being a guy who never really did drugs, I, I always liked beer and stuff, but I would smoke, I smoked pot a couple of times in my life, but I was never a big drug guy. And I'd never done mushrooms, never done LSD until I was like 40 years old. Okay. I, with I the family mushrooms, now, I'm right? tripping yeah. with, a, with a baby and another one. <laughs> and I'm tripping for what the first time. Doing? It would be like, all right, you know, dad's going to dose today. So like I would go in our office and my wife would have the two girls. I remember it was, it was before Easter and they're making Easter eggs in the kitchen and I'm tripping <clears> on LSD. And now you would only do it when you had the headaches? No, or? no. So okay. there's a whole thing where people have been like, oh, it, you know, if you just eat a handful, but the thing is it doesn't work that light. It, you have to do it. There's like an actual scientific way. There's real science behind Is that it. Right? So I had to get a gram scale and I measure out and I have very organized because I went to a headache conference in Austin, Texas, where these world-renowned neurologists and people were talking all about psilocybin and the benefits. I mean, uh, it's helping right? people with okay. depression, and it's getting legalized right now in certain states, so like these Colorado. Experts, they they, knew, they the knew here, yeah. But the problem with psilocybin is, like, in the 60s, they were studying at Harvard, and then it kind of, like, turned into, like— LSD orgy parties and stuff with students. <laughs> and it was like, okay, we're stopping all research on this stuff, which sucks because there's a lot of good they can do. So, uh -huh. But now after 20 something or 30 years, they're starting to do a lot of research again. They're finding so much good that comes out of psilocybin yeah. and one major one. So the way I treat it is like, if I have all of a sudden I have a headache, I can't just go eat a bunch of mushrooms. It's when they go into their remission period, that's when I start taking mushrooms. So it's like every three months I need to eat mushrooms, a small dose. I don't have to go, you know, crazy go to banana town junction <clears throat> here. I can mm -hmm. just do like a small amount where I feel like I've had like six glasses of wine or something. Sure. And colors get pretty vibrant, but I will, uh, every three months just eat, mushrooms as a deterrent. It's like almost taking a multivitamin. It keeps the headaches at bay. So yeah. having gotten them every year for what? It was like every year for 17 years, all of a sudden I started doing this mushrooms. I went three and a half years without a headache oh, for the wow. first time in 17 years. And I was like, okay, there's and that's some life changing for you. Yeah. Right. And I hate it. I'll be honest. I don't like, so that's why I want more people to do more science to get the psilocybin. So I don't have to sure. trip when I have my kids in the other room and I'm hiding, watching old movies. Or if you can just movies. extract what is in that. Exactly. That helps, like right? they've done with CBD and exactly. taking the THC out. I'm uh -huh. hoping they can find, you know, a way to do that. Yeah. So, so it's been a, a couple of years since you've had one of the cluster headaches yes. or what? Yes. So it's working. It is still working. Is I still right? have to do it. It's, you know, there are worse things. You know, I of was course. on a cocktail of awful meds from, I was taking prednisone for years and oh, these yeah. injections and I was, it was making me feel awful to taking something that's like natural and actually is kind of a good time. It, it's work. Yeah. yeah. And I, I get a free day and I can watch like superhero movies because my wife likes period piece movies and I like superhero movies. So those are the times... <laughs> 
I get to watch all my movies. And write Led Zeppelin songs. Exactly. You know? like, yeah. Exactly. I got to start writing music. I'm, I, I'm Some of our best singer, music from like That's a good tip. Yeah. I got to start doing that. So so the book, Clusterfuck, yeah. is it out? No, not, not out yet. Okay. I wrote it. That is actually being rewritten right now. And then they're bringing it back out. Because, you know, we had done, I had done a change on it and thought it would be cool to bring the character down to like a young adult thing. And I think we just, you know, it was all of a sudden <laughs> the epiphany that, oh, we're selling a pro drug book for kids. Maybe uh -huh. we should skew it a little older, you know? But yeah. it was also, I wrote it a few years ago, or the, the beginning of it. I'm still working on it now. But now that things have changed and people have really found all of the benefits of psilocybin. So uh -huh. I'm in the process of rewriting it right now. And then okay. we're going to take it out to publishers. Well, soon. the thing about it is there's probably like people that get these headaches that right. have never heard of this cluster term, right. right? And they just think that they get migraines. Right. And, right? A, and a lot of people get these headaches and the pain is so intense and it disrupts your life so much that they are, a lot of people will take their own lives because there is no real medicine. Sure. So if you could do something, it's like, you know, there is something there that is not bad for you and will work. Well, so, I can see it, it being very popular like because that's something that the press probably wants to talk about. You got migraines? Maybe it's not a migraine. Right. Maybe it's a cluster headache. Here's a great book. And I can see you going on a whole right. book tour. Right, that, exactly. Right? Yeah. So there's a lot, I mean, and mm -hmm. having those things. So that's why I wanted to write a book showing it, but also wanted to write in a humorous way of this guy is trying to get these mushrooms, gets, you know, obviously gets arrested in the book <laughs> at one point and he's dealing with these. And I made it where the headaches, instead of just describing these awful headaches every time he gets one, I'd made the headaches into a character huh. that tortures him. Because oh, it feels boy. like you're being tortured by a, like a sinister beast. So I was like, let's make that a character that they sure. talk to. And the guy beats him up. So huh. it's a little fight clubby. So now is there like a group? Is there like people that you know that also get these cluster Yeah, headaches? there's this yeah. organization called Cluster Busters, okay. which I found through that same friend who had sent that article to my wife. And I went, they did that the headache conference in Austin, Texas. And they, it's like a wealth of resources because the problem is even neurologists, there's so many doctors that just don't know anything about cluster headaches because it's kind of a rare neurological disease that they don't know a lot of people, they don't know a ton about. So they don't sure. put a lot of money and effort into it. There's a lot of money and research towards migraines and meds for migraines, mm -hmm. but not for cluster headaches because not as many people suffer from them. Mm -hmm. So Cluster Busters has helped raise a lot of awareness and help people get the resources of like finding out how I have an oxygen tank in our closet. Hmm. That when I have them, I have <clears throat> pure oxygen. Is that right? Yeah. Hmm. Which freaks me out with the kids. Yeah. Because I'm always like, don't knock that over. Is that going to like turn into a missile and shoot sure. through the roof? Yeah, you know? And uh -huh. I'm like, and I'm always worried my wife is going to light like a scented candle or incense in the house. I'm like, we have a huge four foot tall oxygen tank in there. There's no more, there's no more incense in the bedroom. So, so you mentioned your wife, your kids. Yeah. How long have you been married? Been married since, uh, I'm so, <laughs> what is it? Uh, 2013. So okay. yeah, I think we have our eight year coming up. Is that is right? Seven year. I'm awful with that. <laughs> it's okay. She's not here and she probably won't even listen to this. Yeah, right, right. It's true. <laughs> my wife never listens to no, any of my right, stuff. There you go. Right? You're right. Yeah. I got that going for me. <laughs> and so you have children? Yeah, I've got uh -huh. two girls. Okay. They're three and six right now. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, so... Mm -hmm. And yeah, my wife, she's an actress and we met at a film festival in New York years ago. We okay. met in the press line. We both had pilots in this independent film festival that we both won and like we both won awards and we met in the press line and we were both in other relationships. And I just met her as a friend and she was like a writer, creator. And I just remember she's really cool. And, and then it was like, 
And then I was, you know, single and she was single and I had always had this secret crush on her for uh-huh. years after meeting You're her. You're in the we friend were, zone. Yeah, exactly. And we uh-huh. were, she lived in LA. I was in New York, but we were friends on Facebook. But like, it was one of those crushes that I like, I wouldn't even go on her Facebook page because I would see her pictures and be like, yeah. that's the person I want to be with. Uh-huh. She's got freckles and beachy hair and I've always had a thing for freckles and like, you know, so. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then just, uh, Got the courage. Yeah, it was funny. I had been out in LA and my wife, my, I was on the phone with my sister and I was like single and I was doing improv and I was doing UCB uh-huh. and my sister's like, you need to start dating? I'm like, no. I had gotten out of a long relationship. All I'm doing is focusing on my career. That's it. She's like, nobody? I'm like, well, obviously that girl, Regina, I met like five years ago. I would, I would date her or marry her in a heartbeat. And she's like, why don't you call her? I'm like, she lives with her boyfriend. She's like, Call her. She's a writer. See if she wants to get a cup of coffee and talk. You're new to LA and talk about writing. So your sister helped. Yeah. So I called her Mm -hmm. or emailed her and she was like, I'd love to meet up. I'm just not in a good place. My boyfriend and I have eight years recently broke up. And I was like, yes, (laughs) yes. We had like a three hour coffee in Venice beach. And, and then, um, we tried to slow things down, but that train was moving fast. And it, it was fast. very like, you know, mm-hmm. she was just- uh, Now you got a beautiful be, family yeah, with her. Yeah, got a huh? great family, two little girls. and uh, Are yeah. your girls jokesters too or what? The little one really is. is the she? three-year-old is bananas. Is She's right? hilarious and yes, uh-huh. always doing jokes. My Same with my daughter. Today, yeah. So, yeah, so she just turned five years old. Um, and so, you know, kids these days watch a lot of YouTube. You know, we- yes. We don't give her too much of the screen time, but she watches like, like full like TV shows that are produced by parents. Like it's like craziest thing. Right, right? I know what yeah. those things. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And so she's like, you know, it's like the Ninja Kids and this and all these like different shows that she watches. And so I, I, I want to say that she gets her jokes. I don't. I can't imagine like this four year old coming up with these concepts. Right, so like right. one day, like I'm sitting in my office and she brings me an Oreo cookie. Right. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And I'm working. I'm like, thanks, honey. You know, and get the Oreo cookie. And I go to take a bite out of it. And I knew what was up. Like, there's something off with this cookie, right? It looks like an Oreo cookie, but it smells like my toothpaste. And I'm like, what is going on here, right? So if any one of my friends would have brought me the cookie, I would have took it, threw it at them, get the heck out of here, right? But for this, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with this now. So I'm like, thank you, honey. And she's kind of giggling. And I'm just like, this is awesome. I love Oreos. How did you know I was hungry? And I took a bite knowing that I was going to regret the chocolate and the uh, tooth Colgate or whatever the heck one she is, right? And then I bit it and I was like, oh my God, this is the word. Like completely overdramatic. And she's cracking up. And But she does this. She's got like these like little jokester personality. It's it's fun to to, to see that. It definitely is. So you mentioned... Uh, you called it UCB. Yes. So what is UCB? Uh, Upright Citizens Brigade. They're an improv theater in LA and New York. Okay. And it's funny because I had done Improv Asylum, Improv Boston in Boston. Then I went to New York and I I worked at the People's Improv Theater, the pit. Yeah. And I'd done classes at UCB. Okay. And then I moved out to LA and I started doing class. It's the one Amy Poehler. She was one Is of the she founders. Started there? Okay. She, and she's one of the founders of that theater. And um, so I had been doing 
it, the thing about UCB is before you can even audition for them, you have to take so many of their levels. And it's just one of those things that I had taken levels like one through three or something in New York. And I moved to LA mm-hmm. and I was like, I want to take level four. They're like, it's been too long. So you got to start at level one again. Okay. So I just started at level one, two. And then, but I was about to do the, the, the next level and then audition for them. And I booked a pilot of a TV show and then I shot for like two months. So, and then I never went back. And then, so I never finished my improv. You didn't get your your master's degree a few years ago. Yeah. But I missed it. I loved improv, but yeah, I haven't done any of that. So it's funny you mentioned Amy Poehler because I think that's the connection with Whitney, our producer. You guys ended up. So- First of all, before I get there, so what's this woodworking thing? What is, what is that? Oh, yeah, that's yeah, you're right. There's another thing. There's yeah, a, so it's like you've got all these different right, like, I do have, personalities. I mean, I'm jack and of all traits, trades, yeah. master of none, whatever uh-huh. you want to call it. But um, yeah, my grandfather was a master carpenter. Okay. So I, as a kid, uh, would apprentice him in his workshop. And he built like beautiful, fine furniture, mahogany, Americana, old, you know, antique looking furniture. And I would apprentice him and I, he had this unbelievable workshop and it would be my favorite thing to go and just spend a day with him in the workshop and I could sweep up all the sawdust and I learned to chisel and we would whittle and make little guys and I would- And he had all five fingers still. Yeah, exactly. Uh His (laughs) brother-in-law did not. He was a woodworker too, missing a thumb and I was always Uh fascinated by that because now they have guards on the table saws. That was the table saw. Uh, Uh Yeah, so I just had found a love of woodworking and then- after college, my uncle was, is, a, is a contractor. So I was working on building apartments, buildings and stuff. So I always, and assume when I got into acting, I was always doing some sort of woodworking or carpentry to pay the bills mm. until that interfered with a day because you want your days free as an actor to audition. Sure. So then I started bartending at night. Mm-hmm. But then- you know, with acting and writing and writing those books, it's like, you know, you're writing sometimes for nine years for free. They're passion projects. You are, it's in your pipeline knowing that someday that will pay you off. You have to just, I would write when my daughter's napping, write at night. Mm -hmm. But while I'm waiting in between acting gigs, I started doing more and more carpentry out in LA and I started building custom furniture and I was making a lot of people were just, I would see something I built and then people for word of mouth, would you? Oh, I want one of those. Can oh, cool. And then I started doing a lot. I had my own company building custom furniture. Uh-huh. And then I had a thing where I was working with a partner and we were building decks and we were doing remodeling houses together. So I did that for a few years in LA. Got it. And that was like a passion that you were making money with. <laughs> yeah, now. it was a passion. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, I love building stuff. So it, it ended up just really working out. And then I got featured in some magazines. I built this play kitchen and it was in Domino Magazine. Okay. So things just started opening up with more and more with the the woodworking and building furniture and then um uh my a friend of my wife's called her and was like your husband's a carpenter i'm helping i'm working on this um show making it with amy poehler and nick offerman and your husband's really handy and can build and paint and do a lot of things but he will ever want to be on the show as one of the um these like we call the helpers, the okay. master helpers who would help the contestants build some of their projects. Cool. So I did season one and I met, it was like, they put together this unbelievable team of these carpenters. People are like unbelievable artists and woodworkers that were the helpers. Huh. And Jimmy DeResto was running the shop and it was like, I loved working on it. And that's how I met Whitney uh-huh. and then Amy and Nick. And it was just, 
such a fun show of people building. And I feel like they tried really hard in that show to get people to all get along and not have it be one of these like catty reality shows where people are backstabbing <laughs> each other. They just wanted it to be where people are making things and enjoying mm. the passion of making things. And I think they succeeded in that's cool because it cool. It, it, first of all, for them, like thinking about like casting, how do we find like a carpenter that has a SAG card? You know right, I mean? exactly. Like, like, oh, those things. Second, and now right? it's so funny how these worlds uh -huh. have now all of a sudden, yeah, being a SAG thing, like I just booked a Lowe's commercial and I filmed a Lowe's commercial last week. And in the audition, they're like, we don't want actors. We want real professional carpenters. And uh -huh. I was like, what's your experience? And I was like, and I teach woodworking classes at Allied Woodshop in LA. And I was a master helper on- That AB was never how any it. of your auditions ever no, went, No, right? no, exactly. It's just kind of crazy how things just all of a sudden. And then I shot a woodworking pilot. I've shot two pilots for HGTV now, you know, okay. to host. So it's it's crazy how those worlds collided. Have, have collided uh -huh. lately. That's so. What what are you doing now? Like what what keeps you busy these days? It uh, every day it varies. So I thought I had retired from acting because mm -hmm. in my of commercials there was at one point I had been on a veil, which means like second place on 150 different national commercials okay. over a period of time that I did not book. So I came in second place 150 times out of <laughs> hundreds of people and it was destroying me. And I then it got to be this whole weird thing where I was like, I am incapable of booking a commercial, but I'm always mm -hmm. going to come in second place. So I would still get these auditions. And I was finally like, I think I'm done. I'm going to focus my energy more on writing more on woodworking. And when I did that, the things like making it happen, I just shot another TV show for, uh, for woodworking. And it's funny, I decided, I made up in my mind, I was retiring from acting because I'm sick of coming in second place and all of the drama of almost booking things. Yep. And then I had this audition for the show Insecure and I had retired the day before in my mind and I go in and I did not care at all. And I booked it. And then I had an audition the next week for the show, Adam Ruins Everything. And again, I was like, I'm done with acting. This is a waste of my time. We don't have the good child here. I can't even be here. Yeah. And I didn't care about the audition and I booked it. So it took me like 20 years that now I can walk into niche. an audition of not caring. It's uh -huh. the place you want to be as an actor. That's exactly and right. And I didn't realize that you have to do it for 20 years and be ready to retire and give it up. Yeah. It was when you can finally be in the position to act how you want to in the room. Yeah. Where you're comfortable in your own skin. That's right. You know? Uh-huh. That's that's what they say. My son's an actor too. And that's what yeah. they say. You know, you're not really acting. Just kind of just go in yes. there and be yourself. Exactly. Right? Just Don't kinda... overthink it. It comes yeah. across, especially when they're watching on the camera. It's so obvious if you're trying to or you want it so bad. Mm -hmm. Like years ago, I auditioned for The Daily Show. I wanted that so bad because I was like, I'd be perfect as one of the fake news reporters. <laughs> and I bombed because I was putting on a persona that well, I wasn't myself mm -hmm. at all. It's like the one thing I wish I could have gone back years yeah. ago, but you know, yeah. it's one of those things. Well, listen, man, I, I appreciate you coming down. I enjoyed getting to to know you uh, during this past hour plus. Um, I, you know, what we like to do is uh, sometimes maybe go out and do like some some filming maybe afterwards. It'd be great to kind of go out and maybe um, just in case I ever get a cluster headache, yes. you know, maybe come out and um, and you can give me the remedy for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You never know, We'll right? do it together. Right? We'll do a preemptive yeah. dose. And then we'll write some music and yeah. all kinds of stuff together, 
there, man. Make magic. Right? Yes. <laughs> and for those that uh, that are looking for custom uh, furniture, first of all, Clusterfuck is coming out hopefully soon. Hopefully I'm going to put some pressure it, on you to do that. But hopefully first is the book about the ski story, okay. which is the preemptive called No Whiskey, No Dog. Okay, got and it. And that is out right now with publishers. It so is. Okay, good. Waiting okay. hopefully any day to find out who and when and where. So, you know. Good. And how can people find you on social media? Social media. Or, yep, yep. I'm on Instagram. Okay. And, um markodlum.com it's uh m-a-r-k-o-d-l-u-m not odlum not odlum okay odlum, which Got no it. one ever gets right Got no one it. ever gets that right you yeah. know and i'm on instagram awesome i can't remember i think it's they'll find you yeah, it's find easy it. to it's, find it's like you it's like odlum or something yeah. <laughs> like mark odlum woodworking i had instagram. to go out and buy my name from some like guy that had jason hennessy because i want i didn't want to have the confusion yep. so i ended up acquiring my name from somebody on the aftermarket, but they'll find you. Nice. nice. Well, Mark, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, and we'll have to do this again you soon. You got it. Thank yeah. you so much. This was fun. This has been the Jason Hennessy Podcast. This show is produced by Whitney Welsh and Jenna Kershaw, engineered and edited by Josh Fisher and recorded at Hennessy Studios. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.